Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Jordana Levine, and you're listening to the Inspired Table Podcast. Each week, you'll be led down an inspired path of curiosity as I chat to some of my favorite soul-centered folk about the things that inspire me daily in the hope that some of that juicy inspiration will rub off on you. So pour yourself your favorite cuppa and take a seat at my table. I promise you'll leave happier, healthier, and bursting with inspiration. Just before we jump into this week's episode, I want to remind you about my upcoming event, Inspired Lunar Nights, on June 30, held at the gorgeous Bondo Yoga House, which I featured on last week's episode. So if you missed that interview with Ben and Amanda, make sure you download it and have a listen. The idea of Inspired Lunar Nights has been brewing in my head for about 12 months now, and I can't believe it's actually happening. So many of my friends and clients are so interested in my monthly rituals around the new moon and can see the tangible efforts of my manifestations. So it brings me great joy to be able to share what I've learned over the years in this intimate setting. You know, when you're in yoga and you're lying in Shavasana and a teacher gives you a gentle assist and you're just transported to yogic bliss. Well, that's the kind of pampering you can expect at these evenings, but through beautiful music, guided meditations, releasing and healing old stuff, and raising the vibration of the room so we can all manifest the stuff we want, like love, abundance, joy, and my favorite, calm. And then, if you feel called to, and you are most certainly not obliged to, you can stick around for some organic tea and treats and a good old chat with some like-minded people. If you're keen to come along, make sure you grab your tickets now because there are only a few on sale each month so I can keep the room nice and intimate. For all the details, head to www.theinspiredtable.com.au forward slash events. Okay. Now for this week's episode, do you suffer from gut issues, inflammation, or IBS? You'd be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't, how many of my clients would say yes to all three of those. Well, today's guest is dietitian Chloe McLeod, and she's going to talk to us about all three conditions and how eating the right foods can help manage them. As someone who has suffered from gut issues, eczema, and rheumatoid arthritis in the past, I found this convo especially informative, and I hope you do too. Enjoy. Been living 
in Sydney for a bit over four years. Um, before that, I lived in Melbourne and before that um, in country Victoria, but I st actually studied in Adelaide. So um, I grew up in country South Australia with, with the family and I guess part of why I got interested in nutrition is um, as a kid, I had really bad eczema um, and had a whole heap of different food intolerances and um, I still get eczema to some degree and um, I guess that sort of um, helped me to become interested in food because I always sort of had to be aware of, of what I was eating myself and I really enjoy helping people, I really enjoy talking to people and and I guess just from a personal perspective when um, when I can see that I've been able to be a part of helping improve someone's quality of life, I don't really think there's anything that's much more satisfying than that. Um, I guess from a professional perspective, um, I've had a number of different roles. So working with um, sort of everything from community health um, to working with elite sport teams. At the moment, I'm working in private practice and, and corporate health, um, which is really interesting. So um, learning sort of lots of different skills along the way. I actually suffered from eczema as a child as well. And yeah. I, in my, oh God, it must have been my early 20s. It got so bad it was all across my eyelids and all across my face and the only thing that the doctors would give me the steroid, steroid cream, cream. Yeah. yeah on my eyelids like horrible yeah and it's yeah it's it's full on isn't it and it was only when I went to see it was a naturopath actually yeah and she told me that it was you know inflammation that was causing it and stress that was keeping it active yeah that I was able to kind of calm it down a little bit yeah it's it's so frustrating um I find sometimes my skin will respond to the steroid creams but not always and um mm. I, I was actually the same in my early 20s when I was at uni it it flared up quite badly and um through I guess more sort of my own investigations because the doctors couldn't quite figure out what was going on other than blaming it on stress but for me, um, it's a, a lot of it is environmental as well. So, um, you know, with all these smoky days that we've been having in Sydney recently, it's been really tough. And um, sometimes it, even I find my skin can get worse from the water as well. Um, yeah, it's really frustrating. So I, I totally feel your pain. <laughs> mm. So, I mean, have you found have you found some ways to kind of help keep it at bay? Yeah, so, um, so I, I'm still a bit particular with my food choices, and and I know what makes it worse and what makes it not worse, I suppose. Yeah, uh, what helps it to improve. Um, I find exercise is really useful just from a, a stress management side of things. Um, that's that helps. Um, using really unscented um, products on my skin, um, products that don't have like the, the parabens and the, the sulfates and things in them as well, I find um, is better. But I'm, I'm still trying to find that magic product that will just make it never problem. <laughs> <Make it go laughs> <away. laughs> um, I listened to your um, to the podcast recently. Um, was it? I think it was with Emily about yeah, Emily Banks. Yeah, that was really interesting as well. And yeah, so I've done a bit bit more reading since then too. So yeah. I'm really glad that you listened to that episode. I feel like everyone who listens to that particular episode takes something away from it. It was oh, so insightful. 
Yeah, no, it was really insightful and, and really interesting and, and I love her app. I've been playing around with that. It's been a bit of fun. Yeah, great, great. <laughs> yeah. So one of the one of your main focuses in your practice is um, uh, anti-inflammatory diet, so working on the inflammation in, in people's bodies. So can you maybe just tell us a little bit about what exactly inflammation is and how it shows up in our body? Yeah, of course. Um, I guess to, to sort of start answering that, that question, part of the reason that inflammation or anti-inflammatory eating has become a big part of my practice is through working with clients with inflammatory conditions. So whether that's something like um, rheumatoid arthritis um, or other inflammatory joint conditions, um, also even carrying excess body weight can result in um, more inflammatory cytokines being in your body as well. So um, there's sort of a number of different um, medical reasons um, why I start, started focusing on inflammation. Um, can also look at things like factors within our day-to-day environment can result in inflammation being triggered throughout the body. So, you know, exposure to cigarette smoke or pollution. Um, if you're sleeping poorly on a regular basis, that can ha- play a role in increasing inflammation. Mm. Um, and, you know, as we've also already mentioned, stress can play a significant role in development of generalized inflammation in the body as well. Um, and yeah, as I mentioned, some medical conditions um, can result in inflammation either throughout the body or in specific localized areas as well. Yeah, I um, I I sound like I'm suffering from all these conditions, but I also <laughs> get really bad rheumatoid, and I have oh, okay. like early onset rheumatoid arthritis in my joints. Okay, and I really, I really feel it when I'm when I either have um, had quite a bit to drink the night before yeah. or I've had, you know, really inflammatory foods like sugar or um, lots of stimulants like caffeine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's very common, I find, um, to hear people say those, those three things in particular. Um, it's, uh, as you'll probably hear me say throughout this, it is particularly with, with rheumatoid arthritis, it is an area where we do need more um, science and, and more research to, to back these things. But from a, um, in my professional experience, um, most people like yourself seem to, to find that alcohol, highly processed sugary foods, and, and in some instances, caffeine as well can make mm. it worse. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really sorry. that that's, that's another thing for you. That's so frustrating. <laughs> no, they're actually both under control. I haven't had eczema in years and yeah. my arthritis is really good because I've been following an anti-inflammatory diet. So I do want to talk a lot about that today because I've noticed some big, some big changes. The other thing, um, the other side of inflammation that I used to get a lot of was this idea of um, brain fog. Yeah. And that cloudiness in the brain. And I didn't realize at the time that that was inflammation, but yeah. I managed to kind of bring that back a little bit once I started to focus on some of my food intolerances and the rheumatoid. Yeah, it's um it, it's amazing the, the the different ways that that food and and all of the different conditions can can affect your body and um 
particularly with food intolerances, people often say, you know, they'll focus on it just being one aspect, but more often than not, there'll be, you know, the skin component, there'll be that brain fog. Um, you know, for some people, it can even be uh, like a behavioral side of things as well, getting really um, agitated or, or irritated for no real apparent reason. And mm. and then there's the people with with gut issues as well who um, who notice the the bloating and the the constipation or the diarrhea and the stomach cramps and that side of things so yeah, yeah food intolerances can can show up in all sorts of different ways yeah I would I actually really want to come back to that because that's quite yeah. an important topic for me but let's um let's talk about why it's so like why is inflammation in the body such a bad thing what 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 why do we need to be reducing it yeah, so if if you're not addressing the inflammation in your body, so you know, say say you hadn't been changing your diet around and, and doing the other things that, that I'm sure you've been doing to help with managing the arthritis, um, not addressing it can actually result in worse health outcomes. So um, someone who's, say, overweight um, but follows an anti-inflammatory style diet is likely to have better health outcomes than someone who eats highly processed foods and doesn't include um, anti-inflammatory options, even if they are, say, exactly the same weight. Or yeah. someone who, who has one of these inflammatory joint conditions, if again, if they're making if they're making these poorer lifestyle choices, um, I often notice that they don't seem to have as good of a quality of life as people who are making these better choices. Even though it's not curing the, the condition, if it is an inflammatory joint joint sorry, if it is an inflammatory joint disease, it, it definitely can help with managing it. Um, does that? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, I mean, are there? What I mean, what are some of the more serious health concerns? Because inflammation um, can can kind of impact some of the bigger kind of um, more degenerative diseases or lifestyle caused diseases. Can it not? Yeah. So, so if you're if you have an inflammatory joint condition and and don't um, take steps to manage that um, through through working in in most instances with with your rheumatologist and then with your other health professionals as well. Um, not managing it results in more degeneration of the joints, which then results in worse disease outcomes, which as you know will then result in a, in a much worse quality of life and worse pain, um, less able to be mobile and and participate in in the different things that you enjoy doing mm. on a day to day basis. Yeah, but for someone who who doesn't have uh, an inflammatory joint condition, for so for somebody who's maybe looking at um, managing diabetes and needing to, to lose weight, maybe they need to improve their heart health and, and blood pressure and things as well. Again, not addressing um, those conditions. Again, it results in worse inflammation throughout the body, worse um, disease outcomes, and again, making it more difficult to participate in um, the things that that individual um, enjoys doing on a daily basis. So, you know, one of one of the questions that I really like to ask my clients is, um, why are you making these changes? So, you know, seeing a number go down on the scales, or um, or seeing, you know, being able to maybe um, go for a walk around the block. For some people, walking around the block might be a really motivating thing, but 
focusing on what you're going to be able to do more of or, you know, maybe it's being able to um, run around the park with the kids or maybe it's um, being able to go for a walk along the beach because you can actually make it to the beach, not just around the block uh, as something that you really enjoy. So um, not not making these changes and, and not taking as good of a care of yourself can result in worse health outcomes, which means that you can't participate in the life that you're wanting to. Mm. Um, you touched on gut health earlier. Yeah, yeah. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because um, I I found with the brain fog that I mentioned before and also the inflammation in my joints that for me it started with addressing my gut health. Yeah, so um, with, with gut health it's it's such a, a huge area and there's there's so much wonderful research that's coming out now and there's there's research that indicates that better gut health can have a positive impact on um, management of anxiety, depression and, and other mental health conditions. Um, more diverse gut bacteria have been linked with having um, a more healthy body weight than people who are more overweight are, are likely to have less diverse healthy gut bacteria. Um, also linked, there's also been links being found with, with some of the different um, inflammatory joint conditions as well. And it's a bit of an of a watch this space area at the moment, but it's looking like there's, there's definitely a role to play there with, um, well, I guess with management of the condition, improving gut health. But there's, there's, there was a couple of papers that came out recently, which were looking at um, the development of those conditions and, and having poor gut health. So a really, really interesting area to keep an eye on from, from my perspective anyway. So where's the best place to start, do you think, for people that are looking to improve their gut health? So I, I think it depends on um, where you're currently at. So if you're somebody who's feeling pretty good on a daily basis, you know, maybe some occasionally you feel a little bit bloated, but generally you're pretty okay looking at including um, a really diverse variety of foods that um, are going to be really healthy for the gut. So um, I like to look at fermented options, so things like the sauerkraut and the kimchi and and then including things like the yogurt that has the probiotics in it naturally anyway. Um, But then also looking at foods which provide food for those healthy bacteria in the gut and these are called prebiotic foods. So there's the probiotics and then there's the prebiotics as well. So with the prebiotics, they're found in foods which when they're digested, um, the the bit that's left over is then um, taken on by those healthy bacteria in the gut. And these foods are things like onions and garlic, different legumes, um, so things like chickpeas and white beans, fava beans, lentils, um, looking at things like watermelon as well um, and asparagus so that there's a really big variety of foods there that can contribute to that. One of the, the other sides of the coin though is, and, and the, I guess the other area that I work quite a lot in, is um, for somebody who's got irritable bowel syndrome or IBS. Mm. And, for, for that group of the population, if they start including a whole heap of the uh, or a large quantity of those foods that I just mentioned, it's actually likely that they'll probably end up feeling a little bit worse. The reason being is that for most people with IBS, they need to manage their consumption of high FODMAP foods. 
Um, so FODMAPS is an acronym. Um, so it stands for fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, <laughs> and polyols. <laughs> and oh, rolls off the tongue. <laughs> And it's really, it's quite funny. Um, like I've gotten so used to saying, yeah. And, um, clients go, so that's why you say FODMAPs. I'm like, that's exactly why <laughs> we say. <laughs> <laughs> um, so these are foods which um often don't digest properly in the gut, or when they digest, they ferment, and so they can cause some of these symptoms of IBS. So I feel like the term IBS gets thrown around a lot when anyone's feeling kind of bloated. So yeah. <laughs> how, I mean, is it is it something that a lot of people are suffering from or is there a way to know whether you are actually suffering from IBS or whether you're just having, having a reaction to a certain food or like how do you, how do you classify it? With, with IBS, um, there's about 7% of the Australian population which is thought to have irritable bowel syndrome. Uh-huh. So 7%, that's actually quite a lot of people. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. Um, also, if you look at the the different uh, other different health conditions which seem to be increasing, and I'm being a little bit anecdotal when I say this, but um, because more people seem to be um, highly stressed and there seems to be increasing rates of anxiety, these two things often go hand in hand with IBS as well. So... Um, I think part of the reason a lot of people are feeling like maybe they have uh, um, have IBS is because they they are so stressed and it's just part of their body's response to being so switched on all of the time and and that's what's partly bringing on some of those symptoms. To go back to diagnosing though, it's a good idea to go and see a GP. Um, and otherwise, going in and seeing a, a dietitian who is really experienced in the area as well because it is, it is a bit of a niche area and unless you're working with this client group regularly or um, you've had really high level training in the area or a combination of both of those things, sometimes you, you might not be able to pick up on things or, or manage it quite as well as somebody who, who does have that higher level experience. Mm, okay. And you, you actually run a program, don't you? Yeah, I do. So, so I run a, a program. It's an it's an online program, and um, that came about. It's it's called the twelve week um, FODMAP challenge. So it came about through um, on the company that I work for on their website. We um, we see a lot of people with IBS in, in our clinic. Uh, they're a really really big part of our client group. But um, because of working with those clients, we thought, oh, let's put up a, a download on our website and. Um, just sort of see, like, to, just to help get the message out there a little bit more about FODMAPs because there's there's a lot of mixed lists out there that are available. So we thought let's put up something which is really up to date so that it hopefully to cut away some of that confusion. Yeah. And and what I sort of noticed was that you know there was a lot of people who who had a lot of questions but maybe didn't feel comfortable, um, like, or didn't feel comfortable, didn't have time, or maybe didn't want to um, make make the time to, to come in and see a dietitian, but had a lot of questions and were, were wanting a bit of support, but sort of be able to do it on their own to some extent. So they came up with this idea of doing this 12-week program. So within that 12 weeks, what we do is we do an elimination stage where we remove the high FODMAP foods um, for the first 
portion of the program. And then after that, we go through and reintroduce one type of FODMAP at a time so that we can determine which, which of the FODMAP groups an individual is sensitive to. And we do this for a couple of reasons. So the first reason is most people are not going to be intolerant to all high FODMAP foods. So um, go, going through this series of, of challenges to determine what the triggers are, um, it's going to mean that down the track you won't need to be as restrictive with your diet because you, you go, well, I'm actually I'm okay with um, lactose, for example, but with the, the polyols I do need to be really careful of those. So it just helps you to be able to make some more informed decisions about for you as an individual. Also, the diet isn't designed to be something that is stuck to long term. So it's designed to help to determine what the triggers are. And then because it's an intolerance, not an allergy, the, the research indicates that you should be able to tolerate a small amount. So if we just use lactose as an example, because it's an, an easy example to use, some people might be able to tolerate half a cup of milk, others might be able to tolerate a whole cup of milk, um, others might be like less than half a cup of milk, but everybody's going to be slightly different in, in the amount that they can tolerate on a daily basis. Um, but for most people, they should be able to tolerate at least a small quantity. I feel like, you know, a lot of people try and cut certain foods out that they feel that they might have an intolerance to, but you kind of just, it's like blind leading the blind. Because you cut yeah. one thing out and then you kind of feel okay and then you cut another thing out and introduce something back in and then you're not sure whether the, it's the thing you introduce back in or the thing that you cut out and it's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. consume yourself crazy. Exactly. And, and I guess um, that that's what I'd noticed from, you know, looking at different online forums and different just like things that have come, that have been coming out in the media and I thought, well, people like doing things online so let's do this online and um that way there's that level of support. We've got a private Facebook group as well so that people can ask different questions, they can share, they've come up with different recipe ideas. Um, we do provide recipes and meal plans throughout the program as well. So it's just to, to give that sort of um, collaborative online space and to help develop that community so you don't feel like you're on your own because I think a lot of the time when you know, you, you've cut something out and then you go around to your mate's house for dinner and it's like, oh, there's all that onion in that and mm. I'm supposed to be eating that at the moment. But then you're like, oh, I don't want to offend them, so I'm going to eat it anyway. And, you know, you, I, I think a lot of the time people can end up feeling quite socially isolated when they're going through this process. So having other people there to talk to the whole way through, I think, can can really help to improve um, feelings and outcomes for, for the individual as well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that support is so important. Yeah, um, and to, to, I just sorry, I just wanted to quickly go back to your point as well about like you cut something out and then you're not sure if it was what was causing the problem in the first place, and and that's something that I see so regularly. Mm -hmm. um, I, one of my favorite examples for that is rice. So um, so often I'll have clients come in and they say, oh, I'm certain that it, that I react to rice, but whenever they're having the rice it's often in a stir fry and you know in that stir fry there's there's onion and there's garlic and there's mushrooms and there's snow peas and um you know cauliflower and all of those things are mm. high FODMAP foods so they try having the rice with uh, low FODMAP vegetables and suddenly they're like it's not the rice after all so it, it's really interesting to be able to see 
you know, you might pick out certain things, but then it might be actually something else, which is the common denominator in some of the other things that you're having with it as well. Yeah, and I think the thing with FODMAP is that a lot of people, because vegetables are good for us, they're healthy, then people don't think that that they could be the trigger. Oh, totally. Yeah. So, of course, you'd think it was the rice over the vegetables, but... Of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, ma- that makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, yeah. I had a food intolerance test done probably about 12 months ago now, yeah. and it picked up, and this was when I was suffering from severe brain fog. I didn't know what was going on. And um, it picked up, I think it was almonds, eggs, cashews, um, wheat, and yeast. Yeah. And I was eating a lot of those foods and the yeast particularly was coming from fermented foods, but I was eating a lot of them. And so I cut I cut all of those out from the um from what the test results showed and I felt better within, you know, a couple of weeks. Yeah. And then I stayed off them for a few weeks and I started to introduce them back in. And some of them I was fine with, I had no reaction. And some of them, you know, I had an instant reaction. So I had to cut them out again. Um, And I think I got, I got about six months in and I managed to introduce every single food back in without a reaction, except eggs, which broke my little heart. Yeah. But having, having stayed off eggs for, it was 10 months in the end and not having even a tiny bit of egg, not in anything. I've managed to introduce them back in and not have a reaction at all. So I guess my point is that maybe sometimes with these food intolerances, we have to get that inflammation completely out of the body and then maybe we could enjoy them again. Yeah, and, and I, I guess that's the the way that I work and, and the other dietitians that I work with work with food intolerances. It's never about cutting something out and never having it again. It's about okay, well, let's remove it. Let's let's move through the, the protocol of determining what the triggers are. And then over time, you, you might need to avoid something for some time um, or you might just go, you know what, it's not worth having this as a, as a big part of my diet anymore because of how it makes me feel. Mm-hmm. But then ha- having it in small amounts sometimes. So I'm actually the same as, um, the same as you with the egg. Um, it's been something for my entire life that I've had to be quite careful of. Um, but I've found that if I occasionally have like a cake or something like that that's got a little bit of egg in it, then I'm fine. Mm. But unfortunately, it's no, there's no like poached eggs for breakfast for me or anything like that, which saying it's like I look at all the pictures on it and stuff like, oh, they look so good. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But, yeah, just not not worth it in in that high higher quantity for me, unfortunately. Oh, that is unfortunate because they're so good. They are so good. I know. I was going I'm crazy so for that good. ten months. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what are some foods that are particularly anti-inflammatory? Yeah, for sure. So, um, I think one of the ones which has been in the media a lot recently is turmeric. So, turmeric is a, a Spice, which is bright yellow. It's it's traditionally used in um, a lot of sort of Indian style cooking, and um, you can buy it so it's fresh and it looks a little bit like ginger, or you can buy it as a powder and it stands out quite a bit if you're looking at it on your on your um, supermarket shelves because it is quite bright yellow. Yeah. Um, 
It's got a compound in it called curcumin, and it's the curcumin is also found in in ginger and cumin as well. And and this compound has been shown to be um, very useful at helping to reduce inflammatory biomarkers. Um, there needs to be more human studies done. Don't get me wrong, um, it, but it's a really exciting area of research at the moment. And. I have a lot of um, clients who have started to take it as a supplement just because they're like, well, there's um, there's no harm in taking it. I'm going to try it out. And I've said, well, with what the research currently shows, there's no harm, but um, I can't promise you it's it's going to cure anything or, or it, that it's even going to work. But overwhelmingly, people are, are finding that it's really, really helpful. I do recommend that you consume it with pepper. Um, so the curcumin is better absorbed when it's consumed with pepper as well. And then also like when it's consumed sort of with a mix of things. So, you know, when you've got um, your healthy fats there and um, some fiber and some protein and things, it's um, when it's consumed, I think is a sort of a whole thing rather than on its own, it's better. But to get that higher dose often, you will need it as a supplement. Otherwise, anti-inflammatory, um, something which I'm hoping most people are aware of is vegetables. So um, <laughs> I've heard of them. <laughs> um, so um, with your vegetables, um, including a really wide variety. So I like to think of it um, as a colliter, as a kaleidoscope of color. So mm. um, some people talk about it as being a rainbow of color as well. But the more different colors you've got on your plate, then the more different anti-inflammatory polyphenols and flavonoids and different things there are going to be. Um, that you're then consuming. Um, some of my favorites are things like broccoli, spinach, Brussels sprouts, and cabbage. Um, sort of any of your leafy greens, though. Um, Asian style mushrooms as well are a really wonderful option. They do need to be cooked well. They've got quite tough cell walls, and if they're not cooked properly, they don't have as as good a health benefit. But they're another really useful one. Um, then we've got things like your plant-based protein, so things like your nuts and seeds and legumes. And and I know that there's there's in the media there's a, been a bit of conjecture about are legumes actually good for you? Yes. Uh, yeah. So it's something I de- definitely wanted to touch on today. And with the legumes, yes, if we're looking at it from an IBS perspective, they are one of the high FODMAP foods, and a lot of the time people don't tolerate them so well. But when we're looking at them from a strict anti-inflammatory perspective, as long as they're prepared well, so soaked and then and then boiled or cooked, um, they're one of the, the best choices that you can use. So there was a study that came out a few years ago which showed that um, consumption of a cup of legumes um, four times over the course of a week had a significant Im- improve or showed a significant improvement in inflammatory biomarkers in individuals independent of if the individual lost weight or not. So they're also really useful for weight loss because they're low GI, they're really high in fiber, so they keep you full for a long time. So quite useful for helping to manage portion control. But um, And so when you're losing weight, that also helps with managing inflammation in the body as well because there's less of those pro-inflammatory cytokines floating around in the body because there's less of the fat mass. But yeah, this study showed that even without that weight loss, the inflammation was reduced, which which is really interesting and and to from my perspective makes them one of the most important parts of a, a really anti inflammatory diet. Yeah. Can we Chloe, can we just touch on so everybody's aware of the importance why um, we need to soak our legumes? 
Yeah, of course. So legumes contain a compound called a leptin. And when the leptins are there in higher quantities, what, what then happens is um, your, your body can't digest them properly and they can actually then cause inflammation by causing damage to your gastrointestinal tract. Um, through soaking them and cooking them, though, this um, actually helps with significantly reducing the amount of lectins that are in those legumes. So the the quantity of the lectin is no longer going to be an issue. Yeah. And it's as passive as soaking them overnight in a jar on the bench. Yeah. So soak them yeah. overnight and change the water then before you cook them. So what the way that I do it is I soak them overnight and then I drain any leftover water off and then I actually rinse them to get rid of anything extra. Yeah. And then I'll and then I'll boil them as well after yeah. that. So, um, and it depends on what I'm putting them in of, of um, how that happens. So whether they get boiled on their own so that they're just cooked, you can actually cook them and um, then put them in like a ziploc bag and chuck them in the freezer yeah, in individual portions. So yeah. they do take a long time to prepare. Um, otherwise, um, you can boil them by um, cooking them in casseroles and things like that. If you are a FODMAP person, what I'd recommend you do though is sort of half or three quarters cook them on their own in water because the um, part of what's in the legume is the oligosaccharide and that comes out in the water in the cooking process. So if you can discard that, then you're less likely to get that um, negative response if you are an IBS person as well. Do it yeah, I, I personally, I like I react to canned ones. I, I was yeah. never able to digest them. And then I started soaking and cooking them myself and I found it much better, but still yeah. had a little bit of a reaction. And then a girlfriend of mine suggested cooking them with a strip of wakami seaweed. Okay. And that made all the difference in terms awesome. of the digestion. So if anyone's having any issues, even after soaking them, try that because it's great. Yeah, try that out. That's a yeah. good idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So, oh, so sorry, what were we up to? We, we talked about turmeric. We talked about legumes. Yes. So, and, and then as well, um, I guess that the other part of it is looking at things like your, your healthy fats. So your nuts and seeds, um, avocados, and then the fish as well. So um, with the fish, I, I always recommend, um, if, if you can, getting the sustainably caught um, more fattier fish, so things like the salmon, mackerel and sardines. Um, and you can buy all of those fresh in Sydney. Depends on where you are listening to this and if you'll be able to access them or not. But I know you can easily get all of those at, at the fish market in Sydney. Um, the, the fish contain um, omega-3 fatty acids. Um, if you're more of a vegetarian or vegan rather than a pescatarian, then choosing things like walnuts, chia seeds, and pecans are really good sources of plant-based omega-3s as well. Flax seeds are another good one as well. And what they do is they've been shown to be really beneficial at reducing inflammation, particularly in people with, with rheumatoid arthritis. So, um, and then reducing inflammation in general as well. Um, but there's a lot of studies out there about RA. So I guess it just comes down to eating, you know, mostly plant-based products. So, um, you know, I didn't mention fruit. Fruit's a really great one to include. So things like your berries, um, pineapple has a compound in it called bromelain, which is useful for reducing inflammation as well. Um, then we've got 
the um, things like tea, so like green tea and oolong tea, other herbs and spices, which I didn't mention. So things like um, ginger, I mentioned ginger actually. Um, parsley is another really good one. It's really, really nutrient dense. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a, a whole variety of different things and um, an anti-inflammatory diet draws lots of parallels to um, a Mediterranean style diet as well. So that's where things like olive oil come in and, and are shown to be really useful too. Mm, fantastic. So I guess the other thing we should talk about then quickly, and we touched on it a little bit earlier, is what foods are particularly inflammatory? Yeah, so um, I guess anything if you only have a very small amount of it, is you're probably going to be okay. That said, um, things which I generally recommend to avoid or really reduce your intake of are of processed foods so anything that's you know coming in in a packet that isn't in its natural state any longer um, something which is really high in um, sugar or processed fats um, anything that's really high in salt as well so some of the key things that come to my mind when I'm talking about that are things like soft drinks and lollies um, store-bought um, cakes and biscuits and pastries and things like that. Um, most of those have got ingredients in them which aren't um, nutritious for us and, and can have that negative impact on inflammation. There is some ins- um, there is some research that shows having you know the occasional glass of red wine um, can be useful for helping to manage it. Um, but alcohol as a whole is recommended to be reduced because it is incredibly pro-inflammatory and. You know, a lot of people don't tolerate wine that well um, because of, like for a number of reasons and, and a number of the different things that it's got in it, whether it's, you know, the sulfites in it or the other um, other compounds that are found in the wine. Yeah, I know. I know. I love wine, but I find it particularly inflammatory. Yeah, I always one like glass. food police when I'm talking about it. I'm like, I'm really sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and anything else? Uh, so um, I guess the I, I already mentioned the sugar, so avoiding the, the really highly processed foods like the lollies and the, the biscuits and the cakes and things as a, um, as a big part of the diet. And then, you know, things like the chips, um, fatty takeaway foods, um, they're, they're not a part of an anti-inflammatory diet. As I mentioned before, if, if going out and having that burger and chips is your absolute favorite thing in the world and you want to have it, occasionally well that that's your choice but it's not something that we recommend as being a part of the anti-inflammatory diet now chloe you have an anti-inflammatory ebook don't you yes yeah so if people want to um find some recipes and a little bit more information about all of this anti-inflammatory stuff where can they find you yeah so the book is available through the bjc health website um which is just www.bjchealth.com.au can also buy it in itunes or through amazon as well um, it's nine ninety nine, so um, I think it's quite well priced. Um, there's over fifty recipes, and there's there's quite a bit of information in the start of it about um, why we've chosen the types of recipes that we've chosen for the book as well. Um, that most of it is um, vegetarian eating. There's um, or pescatarian eating. There's there is some meat based recipes in the book um, because you don't have to be a vegetarian or a pescatarian, but for the majority of it, it is um, directed more at that that way of eating. 
And nearly all of the recipes can be made to be um, gluten-free or um, dairy-free or and or dairy-free if they do include those, but most of them are naturally gluten-free or dairy-free anyway. Fantastic. Yeah. And um, if people wanted to find out a little bit more about the IBS program, is that also through the same website? Um, so if they can head to my personal website, okay. that's probably the easier way to do it. So just head to chloemacleod.com. Um, we're actually in the process of setting up a separate website for that at the moment. And I believe the URL for that is going to be um, fodmaponline.com. Okay, great. So um, I'll put all of those links in the show notes so people yeah. can find um, both the ebook and the program. Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. And if people want to connect with you on social media, are you around? Where are you? I'm around. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm around. Um, I do like me some Insta. Um, So I'm I'm Chloe underscore McLeod underscore dietitian on Instagram. Um, And then I I use Twitter a little bit as well. Um, A bit more on Instagram though. At the moment, it's a bit more fun I'm finding. Yeah, I agree. I agree. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This was great and really, um, really informative. So I hope, I hope the listeners got a lot out of it as well. Yeah, I hope so. And, And thanks again for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been lots of fun. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 